The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again as we gather online. I'm grateful that you're with us. I want to remind you, as we did throughout the month of May and as we began uh, June, we're going to be meeting tonight at 7.30 in our east parking lot for a great time of worship, of prayer, time of devotion that lasts about 45 minutes. We've really been blessed by those maintaining social distance as we meet kind of in every other parking spot. And then we are so excited that next week, 9 a.m., we will be at the TISD Wildcat Stadium meeting there as well. I talked to Coach McQueen and we can wear blue front white back pants. I'd ask you all to do that as you join us. We're grateful Uh, for the opportunity to gather in person. We look forward to doing that tonight. We look forward to doing it next week. This week, we continue our our series in Psalms. It's our second week, and we're in Psalm 16. If you have a a Bible with you there at home, ladies or gentlemen or boys and girls, I'd encourage you to, to open it because we're just going to walk through Psalm 16, this Psalm of David today. You know, there's, there's always this tension when we look in the Word of seeking to really confidently have a message from the Lord and then knowing the sin in our own hearts as, as preachers and who are we to speak for Him. So today, I need help to share His Word and, and you, we need help to respond to Him. And so let's pray together. Father, I... Again, just would humble myself in your presence and God ask that your word would speak, God, that that the things that I teach today that I've seen in your word would really be from you, that they would not be from me, that my words wouldn't get in the way of what you want to do and that my thoughts wouldn't get in the way of your thoughts as revealed in scripture, but Father, that you would just teach us, your people, together as we look at the scripture together and shape our hearts according to your will, not according to our wants, but shape our wants even into your, your ways, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 16 the golden psalm, the jewel of the psalms, the precious psalm. Luke and Paul and Peter We can tell all believed from their writings that this psalm was talking about Jesus, and we will see that it is later in the psalm. The first seven verses that we look at are a petition, and then verses 8 through 11 are really more of a proclamation as we talk about really the perfect presence of God. So let's read Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion And my cup, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 
I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. So three things we will see from this psalm today. And the first is that the Lord is faithful to satisfy our deepest needs. The Lord is faithful to satisfy our deepest needs. The psalm begins with this prayer for preservation. Lord, preserve me, for in you I take refuge. See, we all have this problem that we are not going to be preserved on earth. We are all going to die. And not just that, we can't sustain our own lives. We're told in Acts that God gives us life and breath and everything else. God actively every day is sustaining your heartbeat and my heartbeat, the heartbeat of people across the world from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so this prayer of preservation, preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. There are all kinds of things that encompass about us that would crush us, that would perplex us, that would press in on us that would snuff our lives out even. And the psalmist goes to God for refuge, for in you I take refuge. For in you I take refuge. And as we think about the refuge that we have in God, there are a couple of ways that we need to be saved. We need to be preserved in the first is from ourselves, from from our own wickedness, from our own iniquity, from the sin in our hearts. Our first prayer for preservation ought to be, God, save me from myself, from my own evil inclinations, from my own evil thoughts, from my own unbelief, from my own doubt. God, save me from myself. And then second, save us from evil. There's evil in here. There's evil out there. May we run to the Lord to preserve us from evil. We're told when we're weary, when we're tired, as many of us this week are pressed in on, we're weary, we're tired, standing beside people who've been weary and tired for a long time. And Jesus, when he prayed, he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Father, such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus speaks about how he might reveal the Father to those who come to him. He says, come to me, all who labor." And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. In you I take refuge. See, we don't get to the Father by our good works, we don't get to the Father through fleshly struggle. We get to the Father through Jesus. So who do you run to when you're weary? 
There are all kinds of things, all kinds of people we run to when we're weary. It might be unrighteous relationship. It might be a drink or a drug. It might be pressing in to our own frustrations. It might be that we kind of shrink back and just hide and get paralyzed by our own selfishness or fear. And Jesus says, come to me. Preserve me, O God, verse one, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. Because he is our Lord, he is our master, he's our king, he's our savior. So we respond to life situations no matter how beautiful and no matter how difficult they are. By his grace, we respond like Jesus is our master, like Jesus is our king, like Jesus is our savior, like he's the one in whom we're entrusting ourselves because he will judge justly. So we're saying to him, you have my life. You have my allegiance. You are my king. I'm your child. I'm your servant. Why? Because I have no good apart from you. One of the things that that fails us is that we think we have good apart from Jesus. See, we have worldviews, but then we have hidden worldviews like consumerism, ethnocentrism, individualism. See, being an individual is a good thing. We're made in the image of God and it makes us responsible. But if we press into that individualism and we find our identity there, then then the problem is we'll run hard into identity in self, not identity in Christ. And then what that leads to is us being our own person and then we can do whatever we want to do. We can be whoever we want to be without restraint, without regard for how God created us, without regard for who he's making us to be. God made all ethnicities in his image and from one man he created many nations and ethnicities are beautiful gifts from God. We wouldn't be colorblind, we would celebrate cultures. But if I find my identity primarily in what what nation I was born in or in my ethnicity, then that'll become an idol that I run to and I have no good apart from him. We all have to consume, right? If you don't eat, you'll die. But if we find our identity in being consumers, then we'll just take and take and take. But our identity, see, is in Christ. We have no good apart from him. I won't find my good in what I consume. I won't find my good in who I am apart from him. I won't find my good apart from God at all. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 73, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Nobody. And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I have no good apart from you, so I will say to the Lord, you are my Lord. See, sometimes it's evil that would pull us away, but sometimes it's things like apple pie. 
that we get so caught up in consuming the gifts of God that we forget the giver of the gifts and the glory belongs to him. We have no good apart from him. We can receive nothing except that which is given to us from him. We have the blessing of belonging to God and we are his people because Jesus reconciled us to him and to one another. So we have the blessing of belonging to him and then verse three would tell us we have the blessing of belonging to one another. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. We have the blessing of belonging to one another. Community is hard. See, we have the same foundation and we're called to love one another And the most difficult thing about that is that we're all sinners, right? We've all got iniquity within us and God is perfecting those he's made holy. He's changing us and he's able to sanctify us entirely. He's able to keep us from stumbling. But it's hard to be like Jesus. Well, how do we do this? How do we love the saints in the land and take delight in them? Well, we lay down our lives for one another, We believe all things, bear all things, hope all things, endure all things. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God working in us to to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we, we do what we do without grumbling or complaining. The scripture says in Philippians 2, do what you do without grumbling and complaining, because when you do, you shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. But often we grumble and complain. So three applications really quick for loving the saints, loving God's people in this moment. See with empathy, serve with excellence, and speak with edification. See with empathy, see the struggles that others are going through with empathy, care for them, weep with them, mourn with them, come alongside them, see with empathy. Second, serve with excellence. Let us serve and do what we do in our community and in the world for the glory of Jesus. And then third, speak with edification. Our words in a social media culture can be so biting, so hard, sometimes unintended, we can harm others. But there's a way to speak with edification that builds up. We're told let no corrupt communication come out of our mouths, but only that which is good, which builds up the hearer. See, David loves the saints. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And David kind of transitions. He's stating positively, you're my God. Your people are my God. I love your people. I have no good apart from you. Preserve me. You're my refuge. But then he states this negatively. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings. I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. I do not want to engage in idolatry. I do not want to engage in idolatry. Now, we have all kinds of idols, all kinds of things we worship. We said last week, the thing you value most is what you worship. And so we have all kinds of idols that we worship. Well, for David, when he says, the sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply, there were false gods the Israelites worshiped. 
There were false gods others worshipped, and he had seen their sorrows multiply. The enemies of Israel were the Philistines. When David is writing the Psalms, the Philistines are the arch enemy of Israel, and one of their chief gods is a god named Dagon. They had these idols to Dagon. They built gods that looked like him, and the Philistines had temples to Dagon. And there was a time in the life of Israel, if you read in First and Second Samuel, where the Philistines take the ark of God, where the presence of God is dwelt, and they take it and they put it at the feet of Dagon, their God. And they come in to worship the next day and their God's fallen over and they set him back up. And the next day they come in and he's fallen over and his head of the idol has fallen off. See, the sorrows of those, then they, they got boils and then they got tumors they had awful things happen to them because the sorrows of those who run after another god will multiply well a question to ask as you consider who your dagon might be who the idol is or what the idol is that might get in the way of you being all that god is calling you to be in christ of us being all god is calling us to be in christ of us being able to come together in Christ, in unity, in love, in reconciliation. Who or what is your Dagon? That's the first question as you pray about that this week. Who and what is your Dagon? And how is God going to knock your idol over and break off his head? Could that be even our prayer? God, I wanna ask that, Father. I know there are idols in my life, God. I know there are today. There are things I value more than you. And God, I pray that you would knock them over and break their heads off. Let me see the folly of the things that I value above you and your people. Let me see the things that I value and and view above you and your kingdom, God. Let me see the things I give allegiance to that have nothing to do with you. Let Dagon not be our king. Let Jesus be our king. See, the Philistines worshiped Dagon because they wanted to prosper. And see, we can even make God in the Bible, we can make him an idol if we think he is the means to our end. But his presence knowing him and being with him and being with one another. That's the joy of knowing him. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. I'm not even gonna put their names on my lips. David says, I want nothing to do with idols. I wanna know the true and living God. And then he says, he is my chosen portion and my cup. He holds my lot. He nourishes us. He's who we drink from. He will satisfy. God says to the people of God in in Jeremiah, he says, my people, he says, be appalled, O heavens. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They've forsaken the one who satisfies them, the one who gave manna from heaven and water from the rock. And they've hewn out for themselves broken cisterns that hold no water. They're trying to drink from dried up wells, from things that won't satisfy, but God... David says, God is my portion and my cup. I'm gonna drink from him. He's going to fill up my soul. He's going to satisfy me. 
See, Facebook's never told me that the Lord is my shepherd. Instagram's never told me that the Lord is my shepherd. Fox News has never told me the Lord is my shepherd and neither has CNN or MSNBC. But when I feast on the word, when I feast on the word, I remember that all the promises of God are yes for me in Christ Jesus. When I feast on the word, I remember that he will uphold us by his righteous right hand. I remember he's the one who declares the end from the beginning and the times are in his hands. I remember that like Jesus, I can entrust myself to him who judges justly. He's my chosen portion and my cup. And then he says, you hold my lot. David has this unshakable belief that God is sovereign. All the days are written down for us before one of them came to be, that he's not surprised, he's not taken aback. He knows the days, he is in them, and he is with us in them. Do we believe this? Can we trust this? Is our God strong enough? And David believes his God is strong enough. And we can believe it too. We won't find rest in days like these unless we rest in Jesus. And we can rest in Jesus even while we labor together for the glory of God. Verse 6 He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You have to fight to believe this. It's it's difficult not to be defined by sins committed against us or sins committed by us, but our identity, if we understand it in Christ or if we don't understand it in Christ, what we understand our identity to be has incredible shaping power in our lives. Not the family you came from, not the nation you were born in, not things you've done wrong, not things you've done right. We have an inheritance. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Ephesians speaks about this inheritance that we have in Christ because of the Holy Spirit. Because God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to receive adoption as sons to be conformed to the image of Jesus because we've been redeemed by his blood, because his spirit has been given to us as a deposit, we have an inheritance. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. When Christ returns and sets all things right, he is the guarantee of our inheritance to the praise of his glory. So Paul says, because we have this inheritance, because in Christ the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and of the knowledge of him, having 
the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We have this beautiful inheritance. Paul goes on to say, we didn't always have this inheritance. We were dead in sin, children of wrath. Even as the rest, we were carrying out misdeeds of the sons of disobedience. And because of those things, the wrath of God is going to come. But we've been made alive. We've been adopted into the family of God. And we've been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his kindness to us. Surely the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Do you believe it, church? Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I have a beautiful inheritance. See, the Lord is going to satisfy the needs of his people That's the first thing that we need to understand today. The second is that the Lord is faithful to secure us in his presence. He's faithful to secure us in his presence. Verse seven, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel and in the night my heart instructs me. He gives us counsel. He gives us counsel on our hearts. His law is written if we're in Christ. Who is the one, the Lord, who gives us counsel? We're told that when Emmanuel came by Isaiah that he's going to be a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, a mighty God, and a prince of peace. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and he's a wonderful counselor. The Holy Spirit is gonna come to be our counselor, we're told. We we remember from last week, we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We just don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We walk in the counsel of the Lord. We walk in the counsel of the Lord. So this petition God has made then turns to proclamation. So he says in verse eight, I've set the Lord because he gives me counsel And so in the night, I've been in his word in the day, in the night my heart instructs me, I've set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I've set the Lord always before me. God, forgive us for how we haven't set you always before us. Forgive us how how we've been consumed with the ways of the world and the words of the world and the thoughts of the world. I've set the Lord always before me. I spoke to a a widow yesterday morning and she had called me in in about mid-January and and she said, hey, I can't read the Bible anymore. My eyes are so bad, I can't read the Bible. I don't know what to do. Can, Can you find a Bible for me? And I said, yes, I can find a Bible for you. So I went on Amazon and I found a super giant print Bible. I mean, this thing is massive. It's got letters the size of road signs. And at the end of January, I took her this Bible. And she was calling yesterday just to say, thank you. I'm through 37 books so far, Chase. I'm so grateful to have the word of God. She's 92 years old. She's been reading the Bible all her life. And in the last four months, she just made it through 37 books. She has set the Lord always before her. 
And she's saying, I know I've got so much sin in my heart that God needs to change so much that he needs to to cut out of me so much that needs to be pruned, but I've set the Lord always before me. I've got 37 books that I've read so far, just 29 more to go because he is at my right hand. He's always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices because my flesh also dwells secure. See, may our prayer lives, not our stockpiles, reflect who we trust to keep us secure. He who has saved us is the one who can keep us. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Well, there's only one Holy One. See, David's speaking about Jesus. We're gonna see that. He's he's beginning to prophesy about the Messiah that would come, but we are in Christ. If indeed you're in Christ, we won't see corruption. We won't see corruption. And then he says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. God's going to satisfy our deepest needs. He's going to secure his people in his presence. And then he is faithful to save us forever. You make known to me the path of life. I want you to hear in a world that is full of pluralism and full of many ways that if you look up the Hebrew word for path, it's singular, just like it is in English. There aren't many paths to life. There is one path to life, and God has made it known through Jesus Christ. Wide is the road and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter it. Billy Graham said he believes 70% of the people in churches in America didn't have a genuine relationship with Christ. And that might be a conservative estimate. Who do you trust in? What do you trust in? Are you trusting in Jesus to save you? You make known to me the path of life. There's only one way. Peter and John in Acts 4, there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. See, this is correct. It's true. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is why we labor. This is why we love. This is why we keep speaking of Jesus because we're to look to our reward. Hebrews 11 says that anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Philippians 3 Paul says, I'm looking for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, it's not that our appetites for pleasure and for the kingdom are too large, it's that they're too small. Well, how is this possible? Because we all fall short of these things so often. If we're honest, we don't understand our own iniquity and the sin that's in us, but but we really know that none of us could trust our best five minutes to make us right with God. It's possible because we're in Christ, which is who verses 8 through 11 are actually talking about. Turn over with me to the book of Acts, and we're going to look in Acts chapter 2 to Peter's sermon at Pentecost, where people from many nations had come together not knowing they were about to come together in Christ. And so Peter 
is preaching in Pentecost, and he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus is Lord. See, we mean a whole lot when we say that. That changes everything. Jesus is Lord. For David says concerning him, David says concerning him, what does David say? Well, then, then Luke begins to quote as he writes this down, it's Peter preaching, but Luke writing down Psalm 16, 8 through 11. Acts 2, 25, I've set the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. David knew this. It says David spoke of him. See, Psalm 16, 8, I've set the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Acts 2, 25 is a direct quotation of Psalm 16, 8. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell with hope for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. For you, Acts 2, 28, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. You make known to me the path of life, Psalm 16, 11. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. David was speaking about Jesus and we are all in Christ. David foresaw. Acts 2, 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. See, in Psalm 16, David is speaking about his descendant, Jesus. And he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. We've seen the risen Christ. We've looked at the empty tomb. We've seen this man standing in a room alive, bodily risen from the dead with nails in his hands and a hole in his side. And he is not corrupted. He's alive. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out of this that you yourselves are seeing. For David did not ascend in the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, and they were cut to the heart. See, in verse 23, he says he was crucified at the hands of lawless men. And the Israelites, they're the people of the law. They got the law of God, right? And in verse 36, he says this Jesus that you crucified. See, when it came to building their kingdom. They were willing to abandon their integrity. They were willing to abandon their understanding of right and wrong. 
and an honest reading of Scripture meant to build their kingdom, they'd be willing to abandon even if they're even their Messiah. If they could just have their dream of the life they wanted. And so Peter, as he preaches, is saying to the people of Israel, you're not who you think you are. You crucified Jesus. God's people are going to look different than this because His Spirit has been poured out on us. His law has been written in our hearts. Don't miss it. Let it press in on us and let it do its work in us because we're in Christ. We're in Christ. And though Jesus was crucified for our sins and because Jesus was crucified for our sins and because He rose from the dead, Now we, people full of wickedness in our own hearts, can boldly come and say, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, God's people, from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, these are my people, the excellent one is whom, in whom is all my delight. We can say, God, we know what idolatry looks like because we know of it in our own lives. And the sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply. We're not even going to take those idols' names on our lips, Lord, because you are our portion and our cup. You hold our lot, God. Even on dark and hard days, the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places and we have a beautiful inheritance. We bless you, God, because you give us counsel. And in your word, our hearts instruct us, God, we want to set you always before us because you're at our right hand. We will not be shaken, God. We will not be shaken because we stand on the firm foundation of Jesus. God, we've set you always before us. Therefore, our hearts are glad and our whole being rejoices, God. Our flesh dwells secure. For you will not abandon our souls to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption, God. You make known to us the path of life through Jesus Christ and God in your presence. Oh, we long, God, when we're fully, unhindered, completely in your presence. When we're when we're there and the tree of life is bringing healing to the nations. There'll be fullness of joy there, God, but we want our lives to reflect that fullness of joy right now. We know at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. There are pleasures forevermore. So God, keep us in Jesus. Thank you, Father, that the grace that saves us is the grace that keeps us and that through your Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in us for your glory and your dominion and your honor and fame, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.